At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanadarif do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, that's great. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. So excited, as always, to be here on the Life Writing Podcast. It has been uh, quite an interesting week. Why don't you start off, huh? Well, first I want to say we have two very special guests we'll bring in a little bit later, Rashida Smith and Stephanie Malia Morris, who are going to talk about the Clarion West. But before we talk about that, I would like to talk a little bit about what's going on. Y'all didn't know you were coming to church today, (laughs) but it is. So there's a lot happening in writer land, and we would be more than remiss if we did not talk about the WGA writer's strike, which fits so well with our our theme of community of writers and the importance of community as writers. But this is is such a big deal. And I have to say, as someone who has been trying to work into the industry for 20 plus years, who's barely in the WGA. Like I just found out that last year I was considered emeritus because I I wasn't actually active. I didn't know this, but it's so hard to get into the WGA and stay in the WGA and make those minimums to get that health care. And then you hear the horror stories coming out of the writer's strike because people look at television writers just being so well paid, you know, like, oh, you got $100,000 to write a pilot. But then someone was breaking down all the steps 
in that pilot and how it only comes out to a much smaller amount than you would actually think. Yeah, not only um, that, but you might only get that one deal every two, three years. If that. I mean, yeah. if you are lucky. You don't like it's not like you sell a pilot and then you're selling a pilot every year by any of that. For some people, you only sell one pilot ever. You know, it's a very most most never sell one at all. Right. The average writer in the writer's guild is earning, you know, much less than a teacher or a plumber, that's for sure. Absolutely. And even those that, frankly, I have looked upon with, I won't use the word envy, but inspiration, <laughs> you know, people who have those regular gigs, who are working on hit shows, those, they're, they're posting their residual checks. This is part of what they're strike, we're striking over, is that streamers don't count residuals the way, Steve, you for years have continued to get residual checks for Baywatch, for yeah. especially for Baywatch. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like the main one. <laughs> but if, if you don't think that's science fiction, you've never watched all those silicon life forms running around on the beach. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's kind of the bread and butter of more traditional writers. I mean, yeah, you get that initial fee for being in the writer's room and then you get a fee for writing a script, but residuals will come for years and years and they will continue to come. And and we always talk about, oh, the old days, like with Gilligan's Island and all these, you know, classic television sitcoms where they didn't get residuals. So they're, they're in constant replay not getting any money. Well, there are writers putting up their residual checks on Twitter. Two cents. Three cents. They're saying their banks won't even accept the direct deposit under 13 cents. Because I mean, this is not a conversation writers should be having. Well, it's also just a matter that the, the studios don't, it's not that they're bad people. It's that everybody will attempt to gather as much good unto themselves and their families. You some, know, as some of them are bad people. Well, I don't think that there's any greater percentage of bad people there than any place else. Okay, okay. But they don't have our best interests at heart. No, they don't. We don't have somebody to organize, to push, to to advocate for our position. It's ex- like expecting the lions to advocate for the gazelle. You know, it's like you you have to under. And there are plenty of people who will try to carry water for the studios and try to make it sound as if any union is a bad thing, as if the corporations and the companies are better things. You know, we're not thinking that these people are perfect. They're ours. They're advocating for our position. Yeah, we have to watch that too, but there are times when you have to step up and say, this is not fair. There are new sources of income that have been opened up that did not exist when these original contracts existed. We have to look at this. And of course, they want to keep as much of that money for themselves. It's, It's understandable. I don't have to get angry at them, but it is time for collective action. You know, to, that, you know, the, yeah, go ahead. The, the, I was just going to say as, as someone who just finished my first room, like the first room experience ever, yeah. I never had the, the time to get to the point to be angry, right? Because we were just getting our foot in the door. So I will, I, it's, it's, it is my fight. But in a lot of ways, it's the, the veteran writers who have been on the front lines. And then there are the pre- WGA writers, you know, behind us who never had a chance to get in a room. You know, maybe think, sweetheart, I think that we also have to look at the fact that we're really blessed in the yes. sense that we have additional options that when we saw the strike coming, so, you know, we have books and we have this and we have other things. And not everyone has that. No. And there are people who are going to lose their homes and there are people who are going to, you know, fear poverty. 
Absolutely. Because they're going to fall through those cracks. And so I think it's important for those of us who have a little bit more of a safety net, perhaps, to advocate for those who do not. Because I think that's advocated for us. When I mean, I've specifically had producers trying to steal my stuff. You know, mm-hmm. just you know, and the, and the Writers Guild had to literally step in and protect me. And then they try when they lost the arbitration, they tried to attack me. So it's like nobody can convince me that there are not alligators in that water. Yeah, you know about the alligators. You're you're yeah. just you're just being gracious in terms of it not being all alligators. It's a business model. Business <laughs> power and money will accumulate at the top. Executives feel like they are the creators, like they are the ones providing this entertainment. It's like hello, well, and they no. think that we should be because we. One of the executives said something to the effect of, "The writers' strike will end because writers want to write." So, in other words, one could interpret that as on some level they're thinking. You should be grateful mm. that we let you write for us. It's awful. I mean, the attitude. I mean, there is that old Hollywood joke. You know, did you hear about the the actress who slept with the writer? Ha ha ha. Because writers don't have any power. I mean, I, I'm probably saying the joke wrong. It's not even funny the way I said it. But the idea is. It's a, it's a blonde joke. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to tell a blonde joke. That's stereotyping. But I'll just call it a generic actress who didn't know any better because of whatever deficiency she had intellectually, (laughs) who thought it would be a good idea to sleep with the writer. And that's because in Hollywood, traditionally, the writers have so little power. Right. And, And even though, you know, we have learned through experience that any script that makes it to television will have a lot of changes to it, you know, some of which you had nothing to do with, you know, the showrunner will come in and make changes and this kind of thing. But at the same time, writers do have a little bit more power on set than film writers do. So the whole idea that they even think they can get by without writers while they're shooting is somewhat fallacious because no, you're, you're spotting continuity errors. You are on the ground to make sure that the show gets shot the way it's supposed to be. It's also also an investment in the future of the show that writers who are on set learn things that they can then turn around and use the next time that they're writing to become better writers. Better writers. It doesn't cost the studio anything in that sense, you know, but it is denying us the chance to reach our full potential as creators. And so I think that's very short-sighted on their part. Yeah, we are we are very soon after this going to have a showrunner, Cheo Hadari Coker, on our podcast. I don't even think oh. I told you that yet. I think no, you might yeah, be. Not. Yeah, hopefully as early as next week. So we can really right. get into the nuts and bolts. Because as I said, we just got out of our first room. So a lot of this I'm learning from other writers' tweets. I'm learning from a former guest book, Nicole Levy's book, The, the Writer's Room Survival Guide which breaks down all the roles in a writer's room. But it seems to me that some of the biggest grievances, in case you're curious at home, would be the proliferation of what's called mini rooms, which might be as short as four weeks, very small, where you're expected to write 10 weeks of television and does not provide the kind of advancement opportunities and experiences and size that has been traditional. Someone tweeted today that they came up in a room with 20 writers, which does, I mean, it's hard to even imagine that, but that they're all showrunners now. And under the current system, a lot of writers are being held back from their promotions. They're not getting opportunities to go on set. And all of those things prevent them from becoming showrunners. So, right. and it's so coincidental, someone else was pointing out 
that the writer's salaries are going down like more than 20% in the past 10 years. I think it was like 26, 27%. At the same time, more marginalized writers are starting to get opportunities. Isn't that a coincidence? It's, huh. it, there's definitely restructuring going on. One of the things that is of real interest to me is the route in. Now, I think this is really important because one of our guests found one of the routes in that, that sure did. Is, is, is the truth. But we talked about being an assistant in the writer's room as a way in, but another to get into the union, to be able to get into this game where these kinds of conversations have some, are going to have some impact on your lives. I think the part that part of the reason that people listen to this podcast is they want to not just see what our experiences are, but also get a sense of how they might model us to get into the position where they can have, you know, these are nice problems to have yes. in, in, in some ways, but I'm not going to be grateful to the studios for giving us these problems. But the idea of publishing in order to be in the position where you might get optioned, which then gets you a chance to get into the game, which then gets you, you know, into a writer's room or into this or that, where you might come up that ladder. So the context of what we're talking about in Hollywood matters if you either care about it as an observer or you want to get into the game. So yes. I, I'm really kind of eager to get to the next portion of this because we're yeah, I know, I know, in. I could go on and on about. Yeah, this. I know you could. I'm getting you know, so fired up. We'll keep talking about it. I guess I'm getting so fired up. Solidarity to the WGA, the Writers Union. Thanks to everyone who's coming out to support us. But we do have amazing guests today. One of them is a returning guest, and we're going to talk about another form of community that doesn't have to do with striking, luckily, but has to do with inspiration. So our guests today are Rashida Smith and Stephanie Malia Morris. Now, Rashida Smith has published short stories as Rashida J. Smith, or a short story, and five paranormal romance books as Jasmine Silvera. So you've just been outed. You are Jasmine Silvera here on the podcast. And (laughs) Stephanie Malia Morris is a returning guest she also appeared on our Horror Noir episode with Victor Laval, where we talked about Horror Noir, which is on Shudder still at AMC+. Plus. If you could, I don't think it got a whole lot of publicity, but you can still find it if you look for it. And her short story, Bride Before You, was adapted for that. She's an MFA candidate at the Michener Center for Writers at the University of Texas. She's received fellowships from... Kimbaleo, Paraplus, Voodoo Knots, and a graduate of the 2017 Clarion West Writers Workshop, which is where we are today in terms of our conversation. She's had fiction in Fire, Lightspeed, Apex, Nightmare, all kinds wow. of stuff. Welcome to the show. Our guest today, Rashida Smith and Stephanie Malia Morris. Well, you're getting the bravo and you haven't even spoken yet. That's amazing. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Really Thank you. Ex- glad to be here. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you here. And I know you're here to talk about Clarion West, but first, just for a little bit of background for audience members who have never even heard the word Clarion, there's the Clarion West program and then the original Clarion program, mm-hmm. which was the one where Octavia Butler way, way, way back in the day was a student on a scholarship from Harlan Ellison. Remember that, Steve? Harlan paid for Octavia to study under Samuel Delaney. So 
what I mean, just sit with that history for a minute. It, Seriously. It, that's some serious history. And of course, Octavia later taught at Clarion, but there's also Clarion West and Clarion West is a separate program. And I'm going to learn about it just as you will. We build community. We help bring writers together. We're helping them to educate, get education for free, some opportunities to meet each other and write together for free. And Stephanie will talk a little bit more about our programming. Great. Yeah. So just different ways for writers to be able to get together, to learn. So yeah, just some of the things that we're really excited about. We this year we'll be offering like a class a week. And then we'll also have our Discord area, our Discord server. So people can join that if they want to be in like writers groups or just have different community spaces. We also have our flash fiction groups. And so those are like small flash fiction groups that people can join and that will allow them to do like critiquing and writing stories. So kind of like a tiny version of the six week writers workshop and summer workshop. And yeah, so that gives some structure that people are able to then write and fiction and critique while also like taking care of other responsibilities. So if they have kids, families, things like that. So basically being able to write in community in hours that work for them. Is this asynchronous? Yes. It is completely asynchronous. Yeah. Great. So, and the wonderful thing about this being an entirely online platform is that we have folks from all over the world. I mean, you all live in a place and we do as well. You know, Seattle is a big writer community. There's a lot of activity going on, but a lot of writers are pretty isolated and they're in small pockets and they may be the only person they know writing spec big. And so we really want to bring people together. And so this is, so we've got folks from all over the world. And one thing I want to make sure that we're doing is that we're offering contact information multiple times. So what is the website that they can go to yeah. to find out more information? So www.clarionwest.org is where to find us. It took community to get me to the point of being a professional level writer for sure. I, you know, I was in the creative writing program at Northwestern University and based on the uh, primarily a friendship, Robert Vomosi was, was my classmate who critiqued the heck out of me. <laughs> And got my first short story publication ready. And I've told all my students, whether it was in the MFA program where I used to teach or Vona where I used to teach, you're not just paying for this program. You're paying for the community that you will take with you That's after the this program. Thing. The fastest way to mess your life up is to hang around with the wrong people. And the mm -hmm. fastest way to lift your life up is to associate with the right people, people who are at the next level where you want to go or in your, are in your cohort, they have different skills than you have, and you trade your skills for their skills, you support each other. They're people who I have known for 40 years that started publishing about the same time that I did. And to be able to talk with people and share what your actual experiences are, to clear up the mysteries and the misconceptions, you know, it's, it is critical because it can see, if you don't, if you know, a, if you want to be a doctor, you can go right to the yellow pages, find a doctor. You probably know a doctor. You go to your family doctor and you say, well, how do you go, you know, how do you do this? Well, you study biology in high school and then you take these classes in college and you do this and you do this and you pass this and then you put out your shingle. There's no path like that for writers except in organizations, the few of them like Clarion and Clarion has been around long enough 
And the Clarion Rest program has been around long enough that there are now generations of successful writers who come up there. This is a pour between the professional level and the amateur who's never published anything. And I think it should be embraced and supported to the max. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I would love, just to continue to establish the legitimacy of this process, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what your experience I was just about to ask that. I want to know. I want to <laughs> no, know. No, you asked it, then, sweetheart. I'm sorry. No, you already you already asked it. It's great. It's we're, we're finally starting to do that mind reading thing. <laughs> no, I've been trying to reading. tell you. I'm trying to tell you. You but can just, read my mind. Yeah, Stephanie. What? Tell what us. Did, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did Clarion West mean to you as a developing writer, Stephanie? Well, just going in 2017, I also went on scholarship, the Octavia Butler scholarship. And yeah, that completely changed my career. I mean, I went to school for healthcare administration, but going to Clarion West, like made writing a thing that I could do as, as a viable thing. So yeah, completely changed my perspective on how from a hobby to like an actual job. And so, yeah, it was transformative. Love my 2017 class. And my class has done that previously. And so it was great to be a part of that. It was kind of just bringing back that whole experience of being in the Clarion West, like the sorority house and writing all together. And so you get that back together, but online. And I really feel now that we've introduced the Discord servers, that we can create more of that community feeling where you're kind of putting together your own cohorts as well. One thing that I'm really excited about is that a lot of the, like, we have different dedicated spaces that people can be a part of. And so we've got like forums dedicated to like BIPOC writers, to LGBTQIA plus writers, disabled and neurodiverse creators. So you can find community in all these different ways, kind of create your cohorts. And we do have an opportunity where if people want to create their own smaller writing groups or just to find a critique partner, an accountability partner to work with, they can do that on the Discord forums as well. I I love that, that phrase, accountability partner. I mean, I have one in my house, (laughs) so it's very helpful that Steve and I do that for each other, right? Well, so, you know, so I think helpful. that there's this thing, this principle called the mastermind. Now, Octavia really was into uh, Think and Grow Rich, another success because she mm-hmm. she was determined to succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we we had lots of long conversations about how to do that. And one of the things is the concept of the mastermind, where two or more people who are totally aligned with a single goal, and 
having somebody just looking over your shoulder, someone who you make promises to, someone to to be an additional lobe of your brain. You know, if as long as you guys are heading in the same direction, you can push each other and support each other and yell at each other and hug each other. Mm-hmm. And it makes a difference. Oh, such a huge difference. And Rashida, you said you were at, at Clarion West in 2005, the last year that Octavia bought, because she passed away that the next year. Did you work with her, meet her? What was And what was that experience at Clarion West like for you? Well, I think it was transformative. I think as Stephanie said, you know, writing had been something that I always did and never thought I could. I'd been trying to shoehorn it into a career. Oh, I'll be a teacher. I'll be a journalist. I'll be a how can I write and actually make a job out of this? And never occurred to me that I could write fiction professionally. And so I think that was the, the first that was entirely transformative. Second, the secret sauce of Clarion West, and I think all of these, is the community. It is that people that you're sitting around the table with and having conversations at two in the morning in the kitchen or in the living room, you know, when you're stuck in a story and you come out of your little hole with your head up like a prairie dog going, what do I do next? And you make eye contact with someone and they've got you, you know, so that's something that's huge. And then I think finally, and most importantly, I mean, a Clarion or Octavia Butler was an enormous inspiration to me. I mean, I'm not the only one and meeting her and sharing, breathing that same air for the first week of my Clarion West experience, I think really was groundbreaking for me in terms of what I could do. And one thing she told me was like, you know why you're here. And nobody had ever told me that in that kind of way that set me on a path of like, of ultimate belief in myself and what I wanted to do and could do. So yeah, that was incredible. And, you know, to then find out later that she, she enjoyed, you know, I thought, oh man, I'm not writing anything really serious. I'm, I'm writing for these fantasy romance songs and I just love them and they make me feel so good. But like, I don't know, this isn't what she was teaching me to do. And then to find out later that she actually enjoyed reading them was like just you know, years later, I still get emotional thinking like, okay, what I'm doing, I am, I do know why I'm here. I do know I'm in the room. And so that was something that that experience of meeting your idols isn't always great. And, but sometimes it's transformative and it's the most amazing thing. Um, so you were having the a people little- who are masters in the field that you wish to become a, a Tyro in are still human beings. Yeah. That in essence, mastery is just doing certain things every day, walking another step every day until you pass the horizon. And people who are back where you started cannot see you on that road anymore. And they often will suspect, oh, my God, you must be made of different stuff. You must not. You can't be like me. Yeah, they're just like you if you do the same things every day and you will get better and better. And one day you'll be in a position if you're not already there, where people who have not gotten in the field will look at you and say, "Ah, oh, you must be a different kind of creature than me because you don't have you don't have the insecurities that I have. You don't get blocked. You don't you don't have doubt. You don't have imposter syndrome. And when they find out from you, yeah, I do. You know, I go through the same thing every day. It helps them understand that the results of their lives and the satisfaction of their lives is not totally out of their control. It isn't something magical and distant. It's a matter of you chop wood, carry water. You write every day. You read every day. You you associate with other writers that this is just what you do. And if you do that long enough, you create the result as long as you're on a valid path. So anytime I'm talking to someone who is describing a valid path, and you guys are, and I am very careful to make sure to tell people, in my estimation, these people can be trusted with your heart. 
that if you will bring your heart and your energy to these ladies and their organization, that six weeks after you're in there or after you've gone through this process, you'll be in a different position on your path. This is this is a legitimate way in, people, and, and we support this. And it sounds like, Rashida, you were stretching yourself to write something slightly different while you were at Clarion West, but you had a little bit of imposter syndrome because your true heart was the paranormal romances. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing to not read. I thought I, I just knew I wanted to write and I knew my stories all had fantasy in it and I knew they all had romance and I didn't know how to put them together. And so bless my class who watched me mangle quite a few ideas to try to get all of these things into one. But again, that community, which I've still stayed in touch with some of my cohort, although we didn't have all of the social tools and platforms and online that the folks do back now, in, which is back incredible. Back in our day, we could have right? virtually. I mean, we had a Yahoo group. <laughs> we, right. Yahoo we had group. to use oh, no. AOL dial-up to get online. You whippersnappers <laughs> don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, so. <laughs> But still, it's that, 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 that's that community. And so the, I'm just real quick, those flash fiction groups, you know, we started them last year. It's just sort of like, well, let's see if we give folks an opportunity to put them in the same room and see if they'll gel. And we started out with like 12 groups. And we still have groups that are meeting in our Discord server from last year. They have stayed together and they've kept communicating with each other. They meet, they challenge each other to do submission challenges. They support each other when they get publications. And that's the, you know, to your point, Stephen, also like that is the kind of thing that will continue to push the whole group forward is having that community, seeing each other publish, having a resource to go back to, to ask questions. So yeah, this year we're leaning way hard into, you know, the critique is important, but the group and the community that you're going to build in that small group is going to be the thing that carries you through your career. So Stephanie, can you think of a specific hump that you were able to get over while you were within the bosom of that community at Clarion West? Yeah, there was, I would definitely say when I came to Clarion West, I had more of a sense of language than I did of story. So mm. often my the feedback that I would receive was, this is pretty but what's it about? (laughs) Right, right. And by the end of the six weeks, I was, I was actually getting like really solid feedback about, okay, we can definitely see like this character development or this very clear goal from beginning to end and just like shape of story now. And it was, it was, it was, I hadn't expected to change in that way because I thought that plot and story was just one of those things that I was always going to have to kind of scrabble at and somebody else would have to fix for me. But I got a real sense just with the different instructors that I had and just their great lectures that they gave. And of course, just the feedback that I received from all of the students in my cohort, but then to be able to read their stories as well and to see how other people were doing things. And I felt that that really freed me up to start to do experimentation. And yeah, it, it just made things so transformative to be able to see how other people in so many different stages of their career for writing were doing things. I got to ask a question. If you were at a position where you felt like plot and structure were never going to be your friends, there must, I'm, I'm hazarding, I'm hallucinating that somebody finally said something about plot, some structure or some perspective on it that made sense. A little light went on in your head. 
at the moment when the light went on in your head, what was it about plot? What what is it that that shifted, and how? What was that structure? Plot is X. Oh, if that's true, that makes sense. What was the X for you? I would say that the X probably causality, and I forget who said it. To, well, there there is that usual quote where it's like, "What was it?" The queen died and the king died and then there's like the king the queen died and the king died of grief and so I mean I had heard that quote before but in the moment when I was able to apply that to my writing yeah it yeah just to be able to hear how x causes Y or A causes B. And it's so interesting how difficult that is to do. It's like everything that we do has causality, but it's hard to track and hard yes. to do, like especially in that first draft. And I don't know, somebody just put it so well, just like like Rashida was bringing up those 2 a.m. conversations in the kitchen. We had so many of those in Clary and West. And it's just like mind explosion where you're like, that's how you do the thing. <laughs> well, it's no wonder. And hold that thought, Steve. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't want you to lose even a moment okay. of that brilliance. But but it's no <laughs> wonder that so many writers struggle with story and plot. Again, no shade. <laughs> she says about to give shade to MFA programs, including the one you're in, or creative writing programs. And I've taught in many. There is such an aversion or has been traditionally such an aversion to teaching plot and story structure. And I think that was rooted in both genre bias and bestseller bias, right? Like this idea that instructors have that, well, they're not bestselling writers. So, and they're pure of heart. So there must be something impure about a writer who has an understanding of plot. And one of the things I'm most grateful for in studying screenwriting by writing screenplays is that screenwriting really focuses on plot. So the marriage of the two approaches, screenwriting's approach to plot and story almost as a science, sometimes to a fault, frankly, and MFA programs emphasis on beauty of language, almost to a fault sometimes. If you blend those two things together, magic happens. And that's what's great about speculative fiction, because you are not going to get through a speculative fiction workshop without someone telling you something needs to happen in this story. <laughs> right? Now, I look at a successful story as being like a, a lion or a lioness or a dog or a cat. It's a living thing. If it's if it springs from you spontaneously, you may not notice anything except that your fingers are moving and you're just kind of in the story and it comes out the other side. That is the highest level. It's all unconscious competence and everything is just flowing. And don't we all wish we could spend our, all of our time there? But people who have that unconscious competence, if they run into a, a, a block, they often don't know how to fix themselves. Right. So schools, I think, should should teach us both to play with the dog or the cat and frankly, to dissect them, to, you know, you can look at plot and characterization and thematics and poetics as being like the bones or the, the, the muscle tissues, the organs, the brain of this thing. And almost very few people have the whole thing together when they start, you know, that it seems to happen. Some people can just watch television, just read books, watch movies, and they absorb it and they can just do it. Mo and that's a tiny fraction of a percentage. 
most of us have to go through steps of, oh, these are the bones. This is the muscle. This is the motivation. This is the heart. These, this is how this, this story, it, it eats our fears and dreams and, and it turns into the flesh that then moves these, these bones. And you don't see the bones of plot. But without the bones of plot, it just lays there like a flat cat and can't move. It, it has all of your emotions, but it can't go anywhere. So whatever metaphor you use to understand what a full story is, it seems to me that all writers come into the picture differently. And some have that, that deep sense of thematics and emotions, but don't understand the plot. Some people really understand plot, but don't understand character. Some people understand people, but don't understand how to tax and reveal those people through their actions. And if you hang out with other writers, you start understanding that every person has a different set of gifts, a different perspective, a different process. And it, it changes it from, you know, stage magic, you know, where you're sitting in the audience thinking David Copperfield must be a magician to working behind the stage. Oh my God, it's a technology. There is artistry and showmanship, you know, and all these people in you know, the trap doors and the people who work these things. You have to fall in love with the strings to be able to give a puppet show so that the, the, mm -hmm. the audience watching it can just enjoy Punch and Judy. You, you know, know and, and that's one of the things that I appreciate about even executives, even even some of the lamest executives we've ever worked with in Hollywood. I'm not going to name names for a project that really didn't go anywhere. The, when they when you present them with a synopsis of a story, the one thing they know, even if they're not writers, is to ask you, what's this character's arc? Right. And you better have the answer to that question, you know? So your, right. your character goes from ignorance to power or your character goes from this to that. And it's such a, again, paint by numbers concept and you hear it over and over and over again. So it's obviously in the manual and these are not writers, but it's in the manual because television and film are even action. World War Z is still character driven. We still get to know Brad Pitt's family, even if it's only for five minutes before the zombie apocalypse happens. So what is this character's arc is a part of storytelling that often is undertaught, you know, and it, and it's frustrating, but, but I'm really glad that programs like Clarion West exist and, and other kinds of writing programs to give writers that community because we so can't. Would it be reasonable to say that the thing that you got, because this is what you kind of said spontaneously, that was most important was a sense of perspective about how, your actions could conceivably take you to a professional level so you could support yourself, make the money to support yourself so that you can spend the time doing that you want. Would that be accurate that you were looking for a, a practical structure of how to address this? Because Stephanie's primary thing seems to have been the bones. You know, how does plot relate to this? So it sounded like the, each of you got something different from the experience. Would that be accurate? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I got a path. I got shown the first steps on a path of a career that wasn't possible. And, you know, there's that saying, you know, you can't do something until you can kind of see it before, before you at least see the first couple of steps. I don't think you have to see the whole road, right. whether it's a book or a career, but just to see what those steps are and to meet people farther along that path than you. So, um, you know, Octavia, like, 
by far was the most influential in that regard. But then I also had Connie Willis and Michael Swanwick, you know, authors who are making careers, who have been doing this professionally for a while, who had been in the game. And I, so you could see multiple ways to it yeah. and multiple ways of living it. And I think having that, that puts a little light on it. And so for me, that was it. It was, okay, here's some steps on a path. Here are a couple of ways this can manifest. Um, now, what do I need to do? What do I like? And what do I want to take with me? And what things are maybe not for me? And how do I then chart the course the rest of the way? So it was kind of a more of a professional roadmap. You know, I knew I was always going to be writing. I didn't know what, I didn't know how, but I knew I would always be writing something. And then it became like, can I write the things that I love? And can I combine the love and that passion? And the answer is yes, you can. Absolutely. You don't I mean, need I'm more good. than a thousand true fans to have a career. It's, it's, what about you, Stephanie? Did, focus. Did, did I, you know, would you say that I was, to what degree was my statement inaccurate for you? I think I also got a path. I do feel that I was very early in thinking about writing as something that I could do as a career. Like I, I came up in fan fiction. So that was really that's how I thought about writing is you put it out there for your fans and you don't make any money on it. And you write your disclaimer, I do not own this. And so too, I feel that Clarion West gave me a sense of ownership of what mm-hmm. I was writing, which was really important to me. You know, Tanana Reeve, this is the point where we ordinarily pivot and we start talking about the program that we have, the life writing, you know, year long program. Well, yeah. Um, and actually the point program. of this podcast is not, I mean, of course, absolutely check out lifewritingpremium.com where where it's years worth of lessons and, and lectures and et cetera. But also the point of this podcast is to help artists out there listening create their own path toward having a balanced artist life. Like you, you, you're pursuing your dream, but you're not doing so at the cost of your health, at the cost of your family, the cost of your relationships. And we always like to ask our guests what they do to perform self-care how, to stay sane how do you keep balanced as an art or do you and if you don't <laughs> what practices will you begin after being on this podcast to help you do that I think for me I have started to respect my process when it comes to either writing daily or whenever I'm more of a sprinter than I am a marathoner so When I'm working on a project, I can write every day. But when I'm not, I don't pressure myself to write every day and to engage with other ways of writing. Like reading and learning from other writers is an act of writing, I believe. Like writing diary entries, like just thinking about what I want to write, being interested in other stories, those and researching those are all acts of writing so what about taking care of yourself emotionally physically because stress and love and life and connection you know these things if you're going to have the longest healthiest career you're not going to sacrifice your body or sacrifice your relationships for career stuff so we're hoping that you take some time to you know work in the garden or to meditate or to take long walks in nature or hug your cat you know, or 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 something. What what are you doing to take care of yourself outside the writing? Recently, it has been letterpress. 
I uh, letterpress. So as part of my MFA program, we get to take like a lot of elective classes. And so this semester, I decided I wanted to do something that was not reading, not writing related. And so I decided to do letterpress. It's way out newspapers and books used to be printed you're working on a big press you 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 ink your block you get it printed and so it's I I've just loved it because it it's artistic in that like we work with linoleum blocks and carving them into the like the shapes that we want the pictures that we want I've got to learn how to like set type what do you call that getting to work with a laser cutter we did one of my favorite projects was going and doing found art well like found art and so I went and picked up a bunch of different leaves got them uh, printed I mean glued onto my block and then had to figure out how to get that printed so that you actually get this really beautiful design. And so that's been my recent thing. And it's Wonderful. been so Wonderful. Get much you out of your mess. head and, and into the physical world. I love it. What, what about, about you, Rashida? Rashida? I'm a walker. <laughs> yeah, well, you Good. really are, Sharon. You're mind-melding <laughs> over there. So I walk. I, I have a, a wonderful walking companion who has four legs. In 2013, I walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, and I fell in love with walking, putting one foot in front of the other in repetition until you get Absolutely nowhere, maybe sometimes. Do you ever um, take that, like a, a recorder event. along with you and, and record thoughts that come up, brainstorm? I do. The funnest time of year to do that is crow nesting season here because they're dive bombing you as you're walking by. So I have several recordings of myself talking out a plot <laughs> and then going ah, as the crows are flying by squawking. But I, I, do, love I, I find that is great opportunity for my brain to sort of rest and for my plot problems to sort themselves out. Absolutely. Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell and I used to take long hikes while we were working on our books and we would work out all sorts of plot stuff, you know, that, that peripatetic thing. Listen, what is the, the URL again to get in touch with you and your programs? Just make sure that people know how to find you. Clarion Rest right on. Yep. www.clarionwest.org. ClarionWest.org. Be sure to check it out. And I can definitely relate, Rashida, to the walking because the other day I walked for 40 minutes while I was editing a script on my phone and the time just flew by. Not the most aware way to walk, by the way, (laughs) but it got done. And that's what we do as writers. We learn from each other. We learn from community and we grow together. And everyone just go out and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero and the adventure of your lifetime. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. 